you and I can only grow when we are connected to the rest of the body. It would be an odd thing for a member of the body to survive without the rest of the body. It can't happen. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series titled The Church According to Jesus. So far, we've explored and examined the incredible implications of Christ's plan for believers individually. And today, Tom will begin to look at the implications of his plan for the entire church corporately. Paul ends this amazing passage on Christ's plan for the church with three illustrations, the growth of a human body, the construction of a building, and the development of a growing marriage. And as you'll discover today, these images give us a comprehensive view of the nature of the church. Friend, let's join our teacher now to discover more from God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. As we have studied Ephesians 4 together, it's amazing how often Paul uses the image of the human body to describe the church. When you think about the human body, it really is an amazing expression of the creative wisdom and power of God. One author, Joseph Paturi, describes our amazing bodies as the greatest of all creations, the marvelous machine, precise and efficient. Take, for example, just the human brain. The brain is the complex computer system of the body, more wonderful than any computer system that man has ever or will ever create. The body's computer system computes and sends billions of bits of information that control every action right down to the very flicker of your eyelid. In most computer systems, the information is carried by wires and electronic parts, but in the body, the nerves are the wires that carry the information back and forth from the central nervous system, which is your brain and spinal column. There's, in one human brain, it's estimated that there's probably more wiring, more electrical circuitry than in all of the computer systems of the world put together. It is by far the most complex information management system in the universe. Paturi writes this, if we take all human information processes together, both conscious ones like language and voluntary movements, and unconscious ones like the functions of your organs or your hormone system, this involves the processing of 10 to the 24th power bits of information every day. Now that's not a number we can easily comprehend, but he goes on to say, this is astronomically higher by a factor of one million, that is one million times greater than the total human knowledge of 10 to the 18th bits of power stored in all the world's libraries. Think about that for a moment. The information your brain processes in a single day is one million times greater than all the information contained in all the libraries of the world. 
It's no wonder that the psalmist wrote, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. It's also no wonder that when Paul wants to illustrate the amazing complexity and the organic unity of the church of Jesus Christ, he uses the image of the human body. As we will especially see today, in the very last verse of the paragraph that we have been studying together over the last number of weeks. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul begins the application of the great doctrines that he has taught in the first half of this letter. He begins by saying, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that I have just described. And the very first way you can walk in a manner worthy is by walking in unity in the church, that is by preserving the unity that is in the church. And in verses 2 of chapter 4, down through verse 16, Paul tells us how to preserve the unity that God has created among Christians. One of the means for preserving that unity is when the church lives out Christ's plan that he has for his church. We've studied this together in verses 7 of Ephesians 4 down through verse 16. Paul actually explains Christ's plan for his church. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the very last part of this plan, and that is the practical implications of Christ's plan for his church. The very practical implications of the plan Christ has for his church. And this, these implications are found in verses 14 to 16. Let me read them for you again. Here are the implications of the plan Christ has for his church. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now in those three verses, there are the implications of Christ's plan for every individual here this morning, for every individual Christian, that's in verses 14 and 15. And also, we have the implications of Christ's plan for us as an entire church, corporately. And those implications are found in verse 16. Now, we've looked at the individual implications of Christ's plan in verses 14 and 15. Let me just remind you of what we discovered. The individual implications of Christ's plan, number one, every Christian begins the Christian life as a spiritual infant. We're to be no longer children. That is, we start off as children. Understand that implication. A second implication is that every immature Christian shares two primary characteristics with children. Every immature Christian shares two primary characteristics of children. And Paul lays them out here in verse 14. We are personally unstable tossed here and there by waves, and we are easily deceived. We are swept away by various winds of doctrine. 
winds of teaching. The third implication we discovered individually of Christ's plan is that Satan then works to take advantage of that immaturity, the fact that we are easily deceived. And there are men who are into trickery, who are into exalting themselves, who are into profit and greed, and they present these schemes of error and invite Christians, immature Christians, to buy into their schemes of error. Satan works to take advantage of our immaturity. And the fourth individual implication we saw of Christ's plan is that we can only grow up spiritually by means of the truth mixed with love. We can only grow up spiritually by means of the truth mixed with love. We saw that in verse 15 but holding to the truth, or literally truthing in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We looked at that last week. Today we come to the last verse in this wonderful paragraph and to the implications of Christ's plan, not for each of us individually, as we've seen in verses 14 and 15, but on the entire church corporately. I want us to look today at verse 16 and at the corporate implications of Christ's plan for his church. Look at verse 16 again. From whom, that is from Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Paul ends this amazing passage on Christ's plan for the church with an illustration or a picture of what the plan looks like. And it's as if he can't get his arms around it because he uses a number of metaphors. He mixes his metaphors. Verse 16 has the image of the growth of a human body. It has the image of the construction of a building. And it even has the image of the development of a growing marriage. All of those images are in verse 16. In the genius of the Holy Spirit, he has provided us these different images that together give us a comprehensive view of the nature of the church. For several years when I was in California, early in my career out there in the late 80s, I was responsible for a magazine that we published called Masterpiece Magazine. I was the managing editor, and part of my responsibilities was to go to the print shop when the magazine was being printed and to make sure that the print quality was up to what we wanted it to be. And in those days, uh, on a four-color press, there were four plates that were made, and each plate printed a different color ink. And as it laid down those different colors and ran through the press, each plate would lay its color on top of the previous colors. If you were to examine a sheet that had just run under one of those plates, under one of those colors, you would get a distorted view of the image that was on that page. To gain a complete view, you had to see all four colors printed from the plates that had been made. Each color added its layer, its dimension to the final product. And that's how it is with these metaphors for the church. There is not a single metaphor that adequately pictures the church. And so in the genius of the Spirit, he lays down these different shades of color, if you will, to help us understand 
to get an accurate picture of the church. Now, throughout these extended metaphors in verse 16, there is a clear implied call to action. There isn't an imperative, there isn't a command, and yet at the same time, there is inherent in this verse a call to you and to me to do something, to get involved. Now, let's look at verse 16 together, because in this verse, we're going to see four clear implications of Christ's plan corporately on the entire church, on this church, on every church. What are the corporate implications of the plan of Jesus Christ for his church? First of all, Christ is the head of his church. Christ is the head of his church. Look at how the verse begins. From whom, that is, from Christ as the head, the whole body grows. Christ is the head of the church. Now, what does that mean? When we say that Christ is the head of the church, what are we saying? Well, in this context of Ephesians, I think we're primarily saying two things. We're saying that Christ is the sovereign over his church, that he is the final authority in his church. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul makes this point using the same image. Ephesians chapter 1, he says in verse 22, God put all things in subjection under the feet of Christ and gave Christ as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In this context, he's speaking of him as the head in the sense that everything else was subjected to him. He is the authority. He is in charge. You want a graphic picture of Christ being in charge? Read at some point Revelation chapter 1, where Christ is pictured as walking among the lampstands, which represent the churches, and speaking as the one who controls them and their leaders. He is the ultimate authority in the church. You see this again in chapter 5, because in chapter 5, as Paul is talking about wives and their responsibilities, He says to them in Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Here's Here's that image again. And then he tells us about Christ. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, so the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. The point is, if While he's making a point about wives, he's using Christ as the head of the church to make that point. And so if we back up and look at the image he uses, understand that he is saying Christ is the head in the sense that he is in charge. He is the one who is the authority over his church. The head, your physical head, directs your physical body, what it should do, how it should behave, And as the head of the church, Christ directs what happens in the life of his church. That's one of the meanings of Christ being the head of his church. But in Ephesians chapter 4, I think the larger point is that Christ is the source. When we say Christ is the head, we mean he's the source of the life and growth of the body. 
I think that's the emphasis in Ephesians chapter 4. From him, as the head, the whole body grows. Without a head directing its growth, the rest of the body cannot grow. Paul makes this point over in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, in the sort of parallel account, as he writes to the church in Colossae, he says, there are those who don't hold fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. The head is responsible for the growth. Jesus Christ is the source of the church's life and its growth. Isn't that what he himself promised when he was on the earth? You remember in Matthew chapter 16 what he said, I will build my church. I'm responsible for it. Your physical head, the one that's attached to your body right now, specifically your brain, directs your physical body. The brain receives sensory information from thousands of miles Yes, in your body, thousands of miles of pale, shiny threads that run throughout your body, the nerve cells or the sensory neurons. And your brain then collects all of that data, it analyzes the data, and decides how your body should respond. And it does it in a moment. You reach out your hand and touch the pot on the stove, and in a moment's time, your neurons, your sensory neurons have sent that information to the brain. Your brain recognizes what's going on, sends out other signals down a different set of motor neurons telling your hand to pull back. All that information travels through your body at up to 350 feet per second. Some of the decisions your brain makes, it makes with your involvement. You decide certain things. Other decisions your brain makes, it makes completely without you. You simply are the recipient of the decision it makes. In the same way, Christ, as the head of the church, monitors his body and directs it according to his sovereign will. He is the head of the body. Folks, the implications of this are huge. How can Christ, as the head of the body, send directions as to what the body is to do? How do we get instructions from our head? It's right here in this book. We are responsible to follow the instructions of our head, and the instructions come to us not through shiny little thread nerves, but rather through the Word of God. As a church, we have no right to decide how this church should function or how it should run. We're not the head. We don't get that right. He is the head. We simply respond to the instructions he sends as any healthy human body responds to the instructions it gets from its head. There's a second corporate implication of Christ's plan for his church. Not only that Christ is its head, but secondly, Christ intended for us to grow within a community of believers. 
Christ intended for us to grow within a community of believers. Look at verse 16 of Ephesians 4 again. If we were to strip out of verse 16 everything except the main clause, we would be left with this. The whole body causes the growth of the body. The whole body causes the growth of the body. That's the main clause of the sentence of this relative clause. You see, like the cells in our physical bodies, every individual Christian only grows when he is connected, he or she is connected to the rest of the body. That's the point here. The whole body causes the body to grow. We don't grow and parts of our bodies cannot grow or live separate from the rest of our bodies. On July 9th, 2001, off the Florida Panhandle, an eight-year-old boy was swimming, and he was attacked by a bull shark. The, the shark literally severed his arm fairly cleanly about six inches below his shoulder. The boy's uncle stopped the attack and actually wrestled this bull shark to the shore. There was a park ranger nearby. The park ranger came over and shot the shark three times to loosen its jaws and to kill it. There were emergency medical technicians who shortly arrived, and they literally, as the boy was rushed off to the hospital, these emergency medical technicians literally rescued the severed boy's right arm from inside the shark's mouth. Through a 12-hour delicate surgery, a team of physicians reattached that boy's right arm. Think about it for a moment. If that young man's arm had remained separate from his body in a very short period of time, that arm would have atrophied and died. But once it was reattached, through God's goodness to us and through the procedures that have been discovered through his common grace, once that boy's arm was reattached, it not only continued to live, but as he grew, that arm grew with him. That's how it is with the church. You and I can only grow when we are connected to the rest of the body. That's Paul's point in verse 16. It would be an odd thing for a member of the body to survive without the rest of the body. It can't happen. The body grows as a unified whole. And as a Christian, listen carefully, as a Christian, God never intended that you as a Christian should live and grow separately from the rest of the body. John Calvin put it like this, no growth is advantageous which does not bear a just proportion to the whole body. That man is mistaken who desires his own separate growth. If you cut yourself off from the rest of the body of Christ, you threaten your very life. Our spiritual life, Paul wants us to know here, will only flourish as long as we are connected to the head and to the other parts of the body. It doesn't take a village to grow a Christian, but according to Paul in Ephesians 4.16, it does take a healthy functioning church to grow a Christian. The whole body 
causes the growth of the body. Just think about the implications of that for a moment. You will only grow spiritually as God intended as you remain connected to the body of Christ. That runs so contrary to the individualist spirit of our age, doesn't it? We like to think of ourselves as islands. I can come and go at will. I'll do what I want when I want. That's never the image of the New Testament. You and I will only grow as we remain connected to the head and to the rest of the body. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 11 of his current series, The Church According to Jesus. Tom will have part 12 for you on our next program, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.